This is Tall Boy Radio. Each week, your hosts, Beans, Gaz, and Andy, grab a beer and discuss whatever it is that's on our minds. We try to keep things uncomplicated. The premise for this podcast is as simple as we are. Not only can you listen to us at tallboyradio.com and on every podcast platform, you can also watch the video version on YouTube. Just search for Tall Boy Radio or click on the link on our website. If you have a story and want to feature on the show or just want to get in touch, drop us an email at mail at tallboyradio.com or leave us a comment on social media at Tallboy Radio on Twitter and Facebook and at Tallboy Radio Podcast on Instagram. Or you can leave us a message on the Anchor app, which we can play on the show. Right, the show is about to begin, so go grab yourself a cold one, kick back and enjoy. Welcome back to episode 132 of Tall Boy Radio. Now, there's just me tonight in terms of the hosts, as unfortunately Andy is away on holiday. And Gaz, well, it's Gaz's wife's birthday, and he thought he'd be able to sneak away for an hour or so, but she was having none of it. So let me introduce our guest tonight, and he is a a man of the cloth, and we go back, uh, well, quite a long way. But Richard, if you'd like to introduce yourself and tell our audience just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Richard, uh, and it's a real a real privilege to be uh, to be here uh, on this uh, this fantastic uh, podcast, which I hear has gone pretty much all the way around the world, which is amazing. So yeah, so me and Adam were old school friends. Yeah, and I subsequently became a church minister uh, along the way, and that kind of began at school, didn't it? That's where the kind of journey began. It it did, it did, and we we mentioned it a little there before we started recording. And we have mentioned it, like I said, on the podcast before. So my first my first awareness of you having any interest in religion was you gave a talk in the lecture theatre about do you remember much about that? Do you remember it? It had quite an impact on me at the time. It really did. It really made me think. And largely it was down to a school teacher by the name of Dougie Barnett, who was one of the more eccentric teachers that that, that people had. And I remember talking to him about it and like asking him his opinion on religion and you would expect as a science teacher that he would perhaps have a set way of thinking but he really took us by surprise because he sort of said i remember him saying to us very clearly that we were so different from anything else on the planet that he could not accept that evolution was our reason for being he totally believed that we had to be put here and and that for me was that was a bit of a light bulb moment because i thought it really really made me think what what are your memories of that day yeah, well, I'm, I'm being very nervous. That's for sure. I think that's why I, I think that's why I remember it so clearly. Yeah, because I, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'd I'd become a Christian. That was a that was a brand new language to me. I shall, shall I just briefly recollect what happened just for the for the listeners. Just, yeah, if you like. Yeah, I don't want to be too boring. Yeah, so we were we were doing A levels, weren't we? We were A levels, uh, sixth form uh, sixth form college, and I'd actually gone through a period of depression, which had, uh, I, I hadn't grown up with any faith at all, hadn't believed in God, hadn't seen the relevance. Uh, if I ever thought about God, uh, I just thought, well, you know, God can't be there because all this rubbish stuff that we see in the world, injustices, famine, whatever, uh, you know, the kind of natural disasters that, you know, there can't be a God, otherwise all this stuff wouldn't happen. Uh, as I say, I ended up getting quite depressed, culminated in me trying to take my life. Uh, so I took an overdose of tablets. And then um, after I came out of hospital, uh, another member of the sixth form said to me, have you ever tried praying? And I guess because I was so low, 
I actually, uh, you know, the words, the words stuck on my mind. Uh, I went, went home that night. And at that point, my parents weren't Christians. They didn't believe in God either. But I saw at home, there was a book by uh, the old American pastor, Billy Graham. Uh, and because of what this girl had said about prayer, it's called Peace with God. So I just saw the, you know, the name of the book on the spine, picked the book up, and it just began to explain about Jesus, about how, you know, life is a journey. Uh, and sometimes we can feel it, feel a bit empty because we're searching for something. You know, Billy Graham was saying searching for God, but we haven't found that whom we're searching for. And as I read this, I thought, you know what, I can identify with this. And then very simply that night, I simply said, I remember the words to this day, I said, Jesus, if you're there, I pray that you'll take away this pain that I'm feeling. Following day, I went back to sixth form and uh, I sat there in the common room uh, and I just had the most overwhelming experience of peace. Uh, I'd never had anything like it in the whole of my life. Uh, and I knew that I wasn't kidding myself. It wasn't that I kind of wish this feeling of peace upon me. You know, why would I? Uh, no, I had no reason to wish a feeling. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a kind of emotional uh, contrived thing. And the only conclusion I could come to was that that prayer that I'd prayed the night before had been answered. Uh, and then I thought, well, actually, if I've prayed to Jesus here, that must be that must be real. So I went and found this girl, Rachel Butler. I don't know if you remember her. I went and found Rachel. Uh, I and so. I said, it's a long time ago now, isn't it? <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, Rachel, I've prayed and I feel totally different. Uh, and she said, oh, uh, you've become a Christian. And I remember I said, I said, I've done what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I had no idea what she meant even. But then actually she began to explain that, you know, I'd met with Jesus. And, you know, some people, I can say more, some people, as you can imagine, come to faith very gradually, very intellectually sometimes, particularly those from a scientific background. Uh, other people, it can be a bit more experiential and you know, sometimes happens fairly dramatically. I suppose it's just what happened to me. And so, uh, yeah, so then ended up telling the story, as you remember, uh, in the in the it was a packed lecture. Pack it was, lecture, wasn't it? Was, it? it was a very full <laughs> lecture. I've never seen it so full, actually, voluntarily. Anyway, so that was nineteen. That was nineteen ninety. Wow, it's the time. So I'm sure we're not that old. It must have been more recent <laughs> than that. Bit of grey hair. Yeah. Well, be grateful you've got grey hair. That's all I'm going to say from a ball man. Uh, yeah. So that, that's interesting then. So your experience then, obviously. It's a very unique one, isn't it, that in terms of how you, you know, the fact that it's always interesting that there's somebody there who would say something to you that put, puts you in that that line of thinking where it never occurred to you before to reach out and actually have faith in something that was that was probably beyond any, any of your thinking before that. So is that what's made you then after that? Did you decide to dedicate your life to this based on what somebody else has really done for you in many ways? Yeah, I guess I simply couldn't deny what had happened to me. I couldn't, I couldn't deny that experience, uh, and I just knew that it wasn't, it wasn't self-manufactured. That it just felt like the real, the real thing. Mm. And so I guess because it had been such a life-transforming moment, parents saw the difference in me. They themselves became Christians a year later. Mm. Uh, they, you know, they were. I remember there, my mum my really became Christian through reading the Bible. Uh, she didn't realise you could get modern translations of the Bible. She thought it was always like old English and everything. And my dad, interestingly, he was uh, commuting from Allsager, you know, where we, well, you're still there, in Allsager down to Birmingham. And he ended up listening to contemporary Christian music in his car and thinking about the words. So 
kind of bit of music influence, Bible influence. But I guess for me, I'd had such a such a transforming moment. Uh, I guess I always knew then that I'd either end up being a minister or maybe uh, I don't know, cross cultural worker, missionary, whatever we call in different parts of the world. Uh, and I, and, I, and then I suppose just over the years, uh, what I went through is just, if anything, it's just been strengthened even further from that which I've seen and experienced, my own continued in my own life and you know the lives of others despite the despite the curveballs that life can throw at you well we yeah we do know that it can we do know that it can so what what path did you take then obviously i you know i went i went off to university afterwards i'm sure you went off to university and did something yeah, did. off to university of northumbria did a politics degree um mm-hmm. some people say it's the best training there is to be a minister doing a politics degree <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> did that for uh, that for three years uh, and then took uh, a year out in kenya I fell in love with Africa. Wow. Uh, I've been, been to about 14 African countries over the years now, so that's just been amazing. And of course, the church there is a lot, a lot more uh, dynamic, and a lot, you know, it's growing at a much faster rate than it is here in in Europe. So that's been amazing to spend some time with some really amazing African church leaders. So I had a year at Africa, and then went to Sheffield to do a master's degree. Uh, that was international politics, and then started working for a church in Sheffield. I then applied to do a PhD and I just had my proposal accepted and I was just about to part with the first bit of cash uh, and the church leader in Sheffield just called me and said, Richard, are you are you absolutely sure that this PhD at this moment in time is the right thing for you? You know, should you actually be starting to consider, you know, being a minister? And, mm. and as I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe you've got a point. So I actually did a PhD much later in life alongside ministry. Uh, but, um, yeah, so then three years trained to be a minister down in London and then had went back to Sheffield, three years as a minister in Sheffield, five years in Leeds, and then been down here in Bristol now for over 10 years. That's quite an experience. So three years training then to be a minister. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I imagine there's nothing like Father Ted. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good as that. It's, uh, no, I fear as much. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's brilliant. And actually, the patterns of training have really changed over the years. You know, the, the old days, you'd just be stuck full time in the college. But it's all church based training now. So people who are trained now, they're generally ministers of churches that can't afford a full time minister. So they have like a part-time minister who's doing training alongside. So it means that the, the stuff the college is teaching has got to just be so relevant because the you know, men and women who are trained and are being grounded in the local context, really. Um, so so you're based down in Bristol now? Yeah. So, right. you, so you've got your, your, your diocese down there. So yeah. in, terms of the, in terms of the different... It's, I always, I'm always fascinated by the fact you know you're uh, Roman Catholic, Catholic, Catholicism, and yada yada yada. And ultimately, you know, worshiping the same God, yet all yeah. coming at it from slightly different aspects. So, which, which, you know, which churches that you are a member of then? Yeah, no, so that's a, that's a good question. So, I'm a Baptist minister. It's funny. I'm probably a simply a Baptist minister because the the first church I ever went to, so I'd become a Christian at school and. And this same friend said to me, oh, why don't you why don't you come to my church, uh, which was a Baptist church on West Street in Crewe, uh, which mm. is which, which you all know well. Uh, I do. I do. <laughs> I have a shop just down the road. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So so started going to West Street. And so I suppose that was my early formation was in a kind of Baptist context. But the whole the whole denominational thing in the UK, it's just changed so much for the better now. You know, the kind of mainstream, the mainstream church the denominational stuff is just far, far less important. 
so if I give you a current example of that, uh, so I was leading a Baptist church here in Bristol, but the largest, you know, numbers are not that important, but the, the largest church in Bristol, a church of about 2,000, uh, is an independent church. So that wasn't part of a historic denomination. Uh, and they then uh, said to me, uh, invited me to come and work for them and to start a new church in a different part of the city because they've got lots of people who live on that part of the city and are, are traveling across the city. And I, I guess one of the things that COVID taught us was the, the importance of the local context, isn't it? And neighbors and all that stuff. And, yeah. You know, actually small, small can be good as well, particularly people with uh, mental health issues increasingly struck that to go into larger churches can just be really daunting and intimidating. So actually there can be a place, well, at one level, large churches can be good because you can be anonymous if you want to. But actually, sometimes that sense of going into a big crowd, a lot of people, it's not it's not great. Uh, and so just started a smaller church. So that's an independent church. So they've kind of seconded me. Uh, and we've actually been renting the premises of a Methodist church. So I'm a Baptist minister working for an independent church using a Methodist church building. Um, and certainly in Bristol, Adam, and I know it's the same across the country now, you know, the, the flavor of church is just not, it's not, it's not the issue. The, the issue is how can we work together? How can we collaborate, particularly where you know, the poor and the marginalized are concerned? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I know I, I got married in St. Peter's in Elworth. Okay, nice. Yeah, and they did a lot of services with different churches locally. So, and they weren't always like you say of the same denomination. But obviously, I don't I don't live in Elworth. So, one of the things that I did, the reason why we chose that church, by the oh. way, my wife's grandparents were married in that church. So it was really important oh, to her, yeah to to have it, you know, to get married in that church as well. So, one of the things we had to do because obviously we were in part of that diocese was the Alpha course. Is that is that something you've yeah. had any experience with? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've known a lot of people who've had a very positive experience on that. And yeah, I mean, the numbers across the across the world that have, have gone through Alpha. And sometimes people go through it and then they might even go through it again. Yeah, what was your what was your experience, Adam? Was it a, a positive experience or? It, it, it was, it was, it was on the whole, I'll be honest with you. I really quite enjoyed it because obviously you sit down, you watch the videos and then you have a discussion. And yeah, right. Uh, and like you say, a couple of the guys who were in our group afterwards, because obviously split off into different groups, there was there was there was a vicar in there who had you know was virtually on the point of retiring, and he was just doing it, I think, just out of interest, and and obviously just to to lend a little bit extra support to the guys doing the group, and then there was a couple of other people who were already. Uh, members of that church as well and just wanted to re-establish their faith but for me i found it very very interesting the the only one bit that, <laughs> that really sort of found very peculiar was we did we did like an away day okay. and there was a and a little bit about speaking in tongues which i found i found a little bit unusual a little bit uncomfortable if i'm really really honest that yeah, was yeah that, that, did, they, but, did they explain it or did it just kind of ha happen with no explanation or no they, they did explain it they did explain it but I, you know you can tell me i'm wrong but i've always I, i've always had this sort of feeling that something like that if you know speaking in tongues and, and, and been able to converse with the angels as it were that it wasn't something that that we should i would have thought personally be capable of not mm. just an everyday schmo like me anyway that's for sure but yeah, that, that that was the one bit. The one bit I found a little bit unusual. But for the rest of it, yeah, I found it really, really interesting. I did, and then yeah. we did we, we did another course as well about about marriage in general through them. Fantastic. 
So yeah, so they they really were a very engaging church and and really quite modern as well in their approach. The music they played wasn't the old fashioned hymns. They exactly. had, uh, yeah, they had all you know the instruments. It, and sounds, it sounds like the kind of churches that I've been I've been a part of. And I think one of the good things about Alpha is that it, is that it has shown people. Obviously, faith is what it is. It's faith at the end of the day. But I think it has shown people that there is a kind of intellectual coherency about the Christian faith. It's not just people not thinking about it. You know, some of the stuff to do with the, you know, the manuscript evidence for the fact that the Bible's not been changed and kind of tampered with and stuff. But actually, there are there are people in the Christian faith who are using their brains as well as being experiential, mm. which I just think has given it a level of a level of credence. Yeah. There's another another church I wanted to ask you about as well, yeah. just as a point of interest. Are you familiar with the Universal Life Church? I think so. Uh, tell me. So they are largely internet based. So it's obviously Ameri- American as yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you possibly predict. And basically, you can literally anybody can apply to be a minister through them. You know, and the it's more, mainly for America. So, for example, say for example, I were to apply to be a minister, which predictably I have on an afternoon on the internet, and I, I can then I can then conduct wedding ceremonies and what have you in in America, but not in England. You have to be obviously paid to be a celebrant over here. I understand okay. that. So yeah, so it's and they 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 are non-denominational. So right. you don't have to have any real belief in faith. You know, absolutely yeah, yeah. it's encouraged if you do and it doesn't matter what you believe in or which yeah, God yeah. or which, you know, who you believe in. Yeah. But the one key thing is you have to have a belief in doing the right thing. You know, their motto is do that which is right. And I just, just wondered if, I wonder if you're familiar with you come across. Yeah, it's not no. very popular in the UK. Well, check it out. So is it a kind of, does it use the Bible or talk about Jesus? Or is it or is it more kind of life principles? Or It's it's life principles. However, yeah. it's it's not just sort of Christian faith-based. You can be a Buddhist, you can be Hindu, you okay, can be, yeah. you can believe in whatever you like. Yeah. But it's it's just a matter of spreading that word and doing that which is right, which I, I find it an interesting principle because yeah. it's one of those things that if, if you look at, say, something like Buddhism, there's two different paths, isn't there? There's the lesser and the greater path. So the, the greater path basically says, you, know, you believe in the Buddha, you believe he existed, you believe he did everything that he said that he did. And then you have the lesser path, which sort of says, well, actually, no, these are just teachings. You don't really need to believe that any of these things actually happen. But the important thing is the morals of the story are true. The noble eightfold path is true. You know, the four precepts of being are all true. And and that for me is a little bit like the ULC is you don't necessarily have to believe in all those things. Mm. But if you believe in the principles about doing yes. doing what's right and the way you should treat other people, I don't think it's quite an interesting entry level in, into into religion. No, that's interesting. We've got to have this the more understanding we have, the more respect we have for different outlooks. Uh, you know, I just you know, I think it just helps, uh, certainly. Uh, mm. I, I guess alongside that, I guess one of the things that has I have encountered over the years, and it continues to be, I guess, an encouragement, a challenge, is where I have also seen people from other religions also come to know Jesus. So that's been an interesting. I do, um, I do a fair bit of a fair bit of interaction uh, with what's you probably familiar with the term, the persecuted church. Hence my visits to Africa and stuff. Uh, and so churches in countries and contexts where they're really small in the country, uh, the religious freedoms are taking away. I just had a WhatsApp conversation with someone earlier. They're in Somalia. One of their friends has just been in prison because they've been talking to someone about Jesus. And so it's been it's been fascinating, a real eye-opener privilege for me to actually be working with some of those 
some of those people. And one of the things that has struck me, continues to strike me, is sometimes in this persecuted context, there are people who are coming out of other religions for whatever reason and coming into the Christian faith and actually are staying the course despite the persecution. But it's which is just I was at a, I was at a safe house for persecuted Christians just a few months ago, and actually these people have been abandoned by their families, and these weren't crazy people; these were sensible individuals who'd come. You know, they just felt that they wanted to explore different faiths, come to an understanding and experience of Jesus, and just to hear their life stories just immensely challenging, really. Also, then people have had dreams. I don't know if you've come across that, Adam. Had a guy in our last church, and I have to. I'll tell you this story. Being the cynic I am, this is terrible, isn't it? And apologies to anyone who is asylum, an asylum seeker here. I've, I've worked, you know, I do a lot of stuff with asylum seekers. Uh, I was in our church in Leeds, and I had this guy, um, talking about speaking in tongues, I had a guy turn up at the church, uh, and he said to me, uh, you know, I've had this dream of Jesus. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night speaking a language that I've never spoken before. Uh, and he said, I've just, uh, I've just come to faith. You know, what do I, what do, I do? Can you support me? Uh, a Kenyan guy and of course as I say being the cynic I thought you know what you're just trying to uh, <laughs> you know you're trying to win me over for your your appeal case here but actually as I uh, as I you know began to get to know him over the days weeks I realized actually this was the this was actually the a genuine genuine thing that had happened and beyond the you know this is when sometimes faith goes beyond the rational isn't it it later turns out that his sister actually living in Kenya that was praying for him at the very moment that he had this encounter with God during the night where he ended up speaking a different language and had this vision of Jesus. And he's still going strong now. So it's taught me to be a bit less, uh, a bit less cynical, but there are some uh, fraudsters out there, aren't there? And things. <laughs> There's one or two. There are one or two. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's the thing. I think when you, you hear stories like that, Nat, I think your first thought probably should be to be cynical as well in most cases. Well, that's quite interesting, actually. That is really quite interesting. But just taking you back then to your, mm. your visits to Africa, then, what motivated you first to do that? Yeah, well, I guess, I guess simply, I just wanted to take a, wanted to take a year out, experience and experience a culture, sample life, and something that was so different to what I'd known. Uh, and then, um, I'm sure, I'm sure that quite a few of your listeners will have been to Africa. I, I went there and I just absolutely loved it, loved the culture, uh, loved the time that people had for each other, loved the way that they wanted to listen to each other and learn from each other. So, just really fell fell in love with the continent. Yeah, one of the one of the, the perks of being a minister is every seven years or so you get a sabbatical, uh, and so I went back there in 2018 and travelled across uh, Sudan, Somalia itself, Sudan, Somalia, Tanzania, Ethiopia. It's just 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 a really real rich, rich experience. And then I've done quite a bit of stuff with kind of African asylum seekers coming to here, whether Somalis or Sudanese. Lots of them, as, as I'm sure, there's all over the all over the world now, aren't they? So. It's a tough world that we live in. Yeah, one of the more enjoyable parts of my job, I guess. A real privilege. Well, that's that's good. And something else as well. Like when we talked about you coming onto the podcast and talking, you, you told us about another gentleman who's here with you today. Yeah, we're going to introduce absolutely. shortly. Did you did you want to tell us a little bit there about yeah. you know, some of the thing, other things that you do? Yeah, I'll say a bit of a yeah, a bit of a you know. We all, I'm sure everyone who's listened to this podcast, we we want to make a difference for the better, don't we? We yeah. absolutely want to make this world a better place. Uh, and so when we when we moved to Bristol, if you can imagine it, the church that we went to was a very kind of pretty comfortable church. Uh, it's a very middle class church. You know, we love the middle class. I'm middle class myself. 
it was on the edge of Bristol and it was kind of just looking out towards the, the very white, very middle class suburbs. And I guess what I did with my wife, Nick, is we began to transition the church. So actually it faced towards Bristol. So it really became a city church. So we established, first of all, established food bank, uh, which was just a huge learning curve then, a first-hand experience of what people were going through. So we gave away food, clothes, got so busy. But as we were doing that, uh, we rightly began to ask, actually, you know, it's, it's brilliant being able to serve people with food, clothes, got a benefits advisor in. But then thought, actually, is there something more uh, that we can do? And that, that opened two parallel journeys. One of those journeys was a journey of understanding of people in addiction, because Obviously, you know, some people coming into to food banks that had really good job and privileged backgrounds, uh, but other people that actually had had a lot of kind of curveball thing, gone through a lot of trauma, and, and sometimes that had resulted in addiction. So I went and actually stayed in a, I went and stayed in a rehab in Bristol for a week because um, I just wanted to improve my uh, understanding of what it was like for guys. And But what I didn't imagine then was that after I'd spent a week in this rehab, I actually developed friends for life. Uh, just I'll introduce you in a minute just amazing guys it's a male rehab just to hear their stories of courage of life transformation was just astonishing so began to work we began to do some work with people in recovery uh, and also people in addiction then alongside that we then set up two houses for the homeless uh, there's a charity called hope into action they've got about 100 church houses around the country they partner primarily with the church they help the churches to house the homeless or those vulnerable to homelessness so we, so we did that as well. And so ex-offenders, houses still there now. I changed churches about a year ago to work for this new church. But ex-offenders, homeless, uh, people just, you know, just wanted to be part of a supported community. So, so I could perhaps interview Ian and introduce Ian at this point. So Ian then, did you want to tell us then a little bit about your experiences then and, and just, you know, just some of your interactions with Richard and, and the journey that you've, you've come along? Well, me myself, I wasn't actually brought up a Christian and I had a lot of addiction issues and stuff like that and that most of my faith came from like when I like, got sober, basically. Yeah, I, we know, I know Richard from like the rehab I was in. I was in there for about six months, I think I was in there for. don't even know what else is there. Yeah, you said yeah. a bit about your time as homeless and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit more about the addiction as well, Ian, what it was, the pattern of life and stuff. Oh, yeah, I spent like 15 years on the streets basically, in Plymouth. You, you, you were using during that time, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I were, I were basically a heroin user, um, crack cocaine, speed, basically any, anything I could get my hands on, basically, mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and, my, uh, and my faith, actually, a lot at the time, I, I, I had a few suicide attempts and stuff like that, but, but half-hearted, basically. And, um, and quite often, I'd question, you know what I mean, what were next? I mean, I, I think that's where a lot, I mean, I, I did a lot of research, I've even listened to Christian music, I mean, so far, I'm not listening to a lot of words, and I think a lot of my faith came through um, that, yeah. Obviously, you talked there about being homeless. Was was that a part of your addiction, or did the addiction follow just to take away some of the, the pain and the discomfort of, of, of being on the street? Say that again, please. So, you were saying there that you were you had addiction issues. Was 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 that what led to you becoming homeless, or is it something that followed on once you were? Yeah, um, I started doing a lot of speed and that, and uh, I won't I won't say I was fully addicted when I come homeless, but, but um, the addiction, the proper addiction, followed being homeless from right. Yeah, 
Yeah. And was that was that literally to deal with the pressures of of, of living on the streets? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm. To be honest with you, eventually after a bit, I think it got quite comfortable. Mm. I mean, it's all like, and it was quite scary to think about trying to change. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I think I think any set of circumstances you you become acclimatized to it, and then then change is actually more difficult. So yeah. obviously, meeting Richard then was was a big part of getting your life back on track. Yeah, and so I, I lived in another supported housing before, and actually there wasn't really any support there. I mean, it was basically uh, just a, uh, it was drug service support basically, and quite often I, I sometimes feel that they don't. They're not that bothered, you know what I mean? It's all money, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So I'm, I actually moved into a Hope Interaction, which is one of the, we had two houses. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived there for like, what, four years? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've actually just got my own place, actually, but well, beginning of this year. Oh, fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Great news, yeah, great yeah. news. And and what, did you go through the 12-step programme then? Is that, is that part of, because obviously religion's a big part of that. No, I didn't. I went to the odd meet, meeting, but my way was basically just keeping myself busy, occupied, doing, doing, maybe good. For, no, I used to like doing voluntary work and stuff like that. I mean, so I just occupy my time and doing it because I think a lot, a lot of my addiction were about you no know, self worth, and if you're doing good for some people, mm. I mean, it gives you that bit yes. of self worth, doesn't it? I think yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And Richard was just telling us that you are. What What is it that you're doing now? Then oh, I work in a care. It's twenty four hour care home for learning difficulties. Wow. So, uh, I, yeah, that, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, it's quite a challenging job, but it's worth it. No, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And obviously, you know, obviously, you've got your own place now, which is which is also great to hear that you know your life is back on track. So, tell us a bit about your experiences with Richard, obviously, because you know, as as we alluded to at the start of this episode, Self and Gaz, who's now on the podcast here, for people will have spotted him. We we obviously we know him from school, so our you know our, our experience with him is a little bit different. I'd be interested to hear about about you know your stories of meeting him. Uh, we were roommates, weren't we? Yeah, we were roommates. Mm-hmm. Explain, explain that. Yeah, yeah. we were roommates in a rehab, and um, to be honest with you, I can't actually remember that much about it. You know? it's, <laughs> it's, well, you were a nice roommate, weren't you? I was yeah. really, I was really nervous about being in this rehab. You got beat up first, did you? I did. I had cushion fights. I was ambushed. I was, uh, my gosh, everything happened to me in that rehab, didn't it? Yeah, so. we, we got them to break a few, few rules, which you wouldn't expect from a minister, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember going swimming and throwing yeah. all the inflatables at me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do that when I got baptised. Yeah. <laughs> Ian was baptised as well, which was wonderful just a couple of years ago. Oh, so, wow. Brilliant. Uh, but Ian was brilliant in the house. And uh, we, had the love, we both got a love of football. So we were chatting football, weren't we? And, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, so when you came out, you then went into a different supported house. It didn't yeah. really work out, did it? The support wasn't there. So then came to us. I, actually, this the support wasn't there, but it turned out because I knew the Hope Interaction was opening the, the houses up at the time. It was pretty good timing because about a, I moved in the day it opened, didn't I? Yeah. And about a week later, everyone in the house I was living at got to give them a notice. You know what I mean? Oh, well. Yeah. So yeah. pretty good timing. Perfect timing. 
and Ian's taught Ian's taught me a lot of stuff because he's just done so amazing. He's virtually virtually the only one of his peers who hasn't relapsed. So we recognise that relapse is part of the re, part of the recovery journey. So you know, mm-hmm. full respect for anyone who has relapsed, mm-hmm. but uh, but Ian hasn't, and and so actually he's become a real mentor within Bristol here. You know, he's known right across the city. Uh, you know, for the you know for the, the way he's turned his life around and just yeah. as, you know what he's modelled. So so I've just learned so much, and he's he's fantastic now. So if I meet people in addiction now, I it's ten it's Ian that I tend to go to for a second opinion and uh, get a bit of wisdom from him. Wow. It's just just been amazing. So excuse my sort of ignorance if you've mentioned it previously, but Ian, you sort of mentioned that was it sort of Portsmouth you said you're from. So how did you sort of venture uh, from uh, Portsmouth to then meet? Plymouth. Um, Sorry, Plymouth. Oh, don't get those two mixed up football-wise. That was a bad mistake. Sorry about that. <laughs> so I don't support either team anyway. I'm from Sheffield. Oh, that's all right. That's <laughs> yeah. that's all right. Who do you support? I'm a Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. So, well, I might, I might come on to that about how you support them in a, in a bit. So, so how did you get from sort of from where you were then to sort of meet Richard? Was that it? Was that in and around Bristol, or or have you travelled there slightly later on? Or well, we met when in, in rehab, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, when you stayed, then um, I, I, I was I was going to Woodies, Woodland Church, which is it's the biggest, isn't it? the biggest, yeah. in, which was actually a lot more local to me. Yeah. And uh, I, eventually, I just started. I don't know what, why I started, actually. I know it's because I was getting a lift. I was getting yeah. a lift to buy one of the people in the fish pond. Right. So that's how, yeah. Mm. And I guess and I guess what happened with you, Ian, you, you were signposted to Bristol for rehab. You had to choose a rehab oh, to yeah. go to, didn't you? So you were right. signposted here. And then I guess, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Ian, yeah. but it, it struck me that you, you had something of a faith. You'd had some positive experiences, experience of the church, but not a massive ownership of faith. And yeah. again, that I guess what's happened is your recovery has gone, has, has, has you know strengthened, as you become more conscious of who you are, your self-esteem is growing back. I guess your self-ownership of faith has increased. You know, Ian, you know, Ian plays in the worship group now and the band at church and stuff. Oh, I mean, that's a bit, that's a big deal, isn't it, to stand in front of other people yeah. playing a guitar and things. And would that be right, Ian? That sense yeah. of ownership? Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 must, it must feel quite quite positive, I suppose, to draw on the experiences that you have had to now then self-reflect and reflect where you are now. You've got your own place. You, you've got yourself a job. You know, you, you, you'll be playing in a band. You, that self-worth has come back. So that, that must be nice and positive and give you a nice positive affirmation that actually you are on the right track. Yeah, it is. But it's sometimes like very surreal. I mean, yeah. Is it what you you can't quite believe that it that yeah. you are where you are after what you've been through? Yeah, yeah. So just out of interest, then, Ian, like Richard just said there, that the what is unique about your good self is there that you you know most people during that process relapse is a is a is a recognizable part of it, but you didn't. What what do you think it was that stops you from relapsing? I think it's knowing how low I went. You know what I mean? And I and yeah, there's been a couple. There has been a couple of times where I've um, choosed around relationships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I've I had one breakup and thing where I I nearly got to that state, but then it's just I don't know. I just I think it's just willpower. Yeah. A lot will, willpower me. I mean, a lot of people say, but uh, it's it's stronger than willpower. But I've not found that yet. And you've kept yourself in community, haven't you? Yeah. So one of the, like, with the houses and stuff, and we yeah. still do it now, even though you're not in the house, it's that sense of... Oh, I'm actually, I've put that mid 
tough down to is it mentor? Yeah. Or was just, uh, yeah. You know, that sense of community, yeah, yeah. no embarrassment about saying when yeah. you're struggling or whatever, when things are hard. Yeah. What was that phrase at Shandos? The say ouch. When it hurts. Say ouch when it hurts. Mm. And you've done that, haven't you? Yeah. You've done that and you've got mm. the confidence to do that. And, and and that's a huge thing, isn't it? Because the, the, the wave and the tide of, of people being aware of mental health, there is a bit of a stigma attached in particular for, for, for men to sort of say that they're struggling, but... I suppose if you are in an environment where th- there's no real solitude and you are around people that that will be accepting of the journey that you've been on and will be accepting of the the the, the thoughts that you might be having, that that must fill you with quite a sense of of belonging. I suppose that they're willing to accept the journey you've been on, accept you within their community, and 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 actually it's quite an open community to talk about the issues that you that you have sort of surrounding addiction and mental health and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't know how to answer that, but I agree, totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And, and Richard, I'm yeah. just saying, from, from, your, sorry, from your point of view, Richard, it must be, I mean, obviously, you know, you must take great, I suppose, I say satisfaction, if that's even the right phrase, of the journey that, that Ian has been on and you, you helping him along that path. And, and I suppose that the, the journey will continue because, you know, there's always a chance of relapse. So it's always, it, it's, becoming stronger and stronger every day isn't it I suppose yeah I mean it's been an enormous privilege uh, what we're and what we're trying to do now is multiply these houses across the city so we've got about another seven or eight churches that are wanting to you know to step out to this and you know to grow in this now because uh, right. you know the, the problem in Bristol is just so just so huge and, and there's so much isolation so people yeah. are dealing with I don't know uh, addiction or family breakdown or, or stuff that's caused them to go to prison and the the cycles are just being repeated all the time uh, and somehow it's just working out how we can as you as you say guys create communities of belonging for people yeah and actually help people to see actually there is a you know there's another way and then yeah. when, when faith comes into that that's fantastic uh, but we also recognize that you know people are you know faith is you know we're, we're constantly talking about jesus but we're also recognizing that uh you know, people are vulnerable as well. So we just, we try and do that really to balance. Uh, we try and be really respectful. Uh, and don't certainly don't force stuff. But it's been the, yeah. you know, that's the best way, isn't it? Attraction, yeah. not promotion. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And I imagine it's something that you've seen. We talked a little bit offline, actually. You know, obviously during the pandemic and lockdown, the extra pressures, a bit of pressure cooker that put on people's lives. There, you must have seen this situation repeated 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 throughout that and just become much more challenging and and more numerous in that time frame yeah absolutely yeah that only you know the the pandemic just exacerbated everything really and and i guess with the the way the churches were operated we were we were always grateful with the government that there was always a little bit of exemption for the most vulnerable in the community Uh, and so that those exemptions of in the regulations we really max you know used to the max do you remember at church here when we were we were only allowed a tiny number of people gathering unless someone was on team weren't they yeah. you could have team there but only a very small number of people actually streaming it so i suddenly started creating all these new team positions because <laughs> i knew that these guys just wanted to come and be a part of things and just just be serving but yeah no it's uh you know it's tough and i guess as well you know you know people's finances have gone down there's not as much money in the church as there was now and but there's a great there's a great appetite and when you know when other church leaders in the city meet the likes of Ian they think actually you know we'd love to do this yeah um, 
I wasn't an expert at all. I've just been on a learning, you know, on a learning loop, and um, yeah. being around here makes it very easy to learn. So. Yeah, brilliant. I, th- I think it's wonderful though that that there's there's a recognition, and although unfortunately when there is a recognition it's because people are struggling and people are finding life very difficult but i think it's wonderful that there are people out there like yourself and other members of the church and even outside of the church that actually really really want to make a difference in people's lives and i, I you know I, I take my hat off to you to and to anybody out there who goes out there and and takes part in anything that's altruistic uh, d- just to make a difference in someone else's life because it, it i can't i can't stress the importance of that yeah, no, and I, and I suppose to me it would go back to my, you know, that that sixth form experience of that life mm. life transformation. Uh, so I suppose I came to know a hope which I didn't know before, uh, and so I guess I've come to know that hope. I've come to know that transformation uh, in Jesus. So that's what has just been the constant motivation, as well as the love for people alongside that. Yeah, but no, really important, interesting there that, like you say, that it's your own personal journey mm. that you then reflect on. And, and it helps you then to share with other people. And I think that's and I think that's important. And do you need other people to have that journey themselves? Or or, or is it something that you you can share, you can you can bring them along just through sharing your stories and through your tales and Ian's tale there? Just say the question again. Do you find it's important for someone to have their own journey? Or do you think you can bring people on board just from hearing yourself and in Ian's journey? Or is, or is it is it people's troubles and travails that get them on board as well? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the kind of trials, trials and tribulations because I've, I've known a fair few people with a very authentic, passionate Christian faith. Uh, and actually, they would say, to be honest with you, I've had a very, I've had a very trouble-free, trouble-free life. So I don't think it's necessarily rooted in, in having to go through, through troubles. I think, I, I think the key thing is, is this personal ownership of faith. If it's going to be authentic, because in a sense, we're not, for me, it's a bit cliche, but you know, I wouldn't even refer to myself as religious because almost like, you know, religion is something you do in a sense. Whereas I would say my Christian faith is more, more what, just how I live, really. It's not so much what I do or what I don't do. And I think if you if you if you haven't got that real authentic ownership of faith, I think the risk is religion can just become a list of do's and don'ts and go to church and do this, do that or the other. And I think that's what we've moved away from a little bit. And in a way, the pandemic, bizarrely, was quite useful for the church in that sense, because it actually, when churches were closed for a period, it actually made people realise, actually, what is it to be a Christian? It's not just going to church. It's like, I can't go to church. You know, we're not allowed to do church for a period. So people have had to take stock and say, actually, what is this about? What is it? What's the bread and butter of the Christian faith? Absolutely, yeah. I never thought of it that way. I guess I always, you see the challenges, you see the challenges brought upon by the pandemic, but I never actually thought actually, you know, that the, 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 there were benefits, there were benefits too as well when, when people had to start looking uh, at things and how they can do things differently, how things, what things actually meant to them. So what yeah. do you think, what what do you think you would be doing now? I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, you found faith and you know, taking you back to that start of that journey, what do you think you'd be doing now if you weren't a vicar? Do you think? Do you still think you'd be participating in things like you're doing now with with Ian? You know, I don't. In all honesty, I don't think I would. And and full respect to listeners out there who may be doing very similar things, not from a faith background. Full full respect to you. Uh, I think probably for me, I had this interest in politics. I probably would have uh, probably done something in that respect. 
maybe the BBC correspondent traveling around the world. That would have been the dream job, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, uh, I was going to do reconstruct political reconstruction of Somalia. That's what the, the PhD <laughs> was. And that was before September the 11th. So I sometimes thought, actually, if all that had come to be, I could have maybe done a bit of a you know, specialist like academia or that kind of that kind of niche. Yeah, but no, it's. Uh, I guess I'm happy doing what I'm doing. You sometimes think what could have been, but actually I'm totally fulfilled, and I guess I wouldn't really. Well, this is. I've got that sense of this is what I'm made to be doing. This is what I'm about, and so sometimes you think the grass might be greener elsewhere, but actually, if that's not what you're wired to do, there's no, no point doing it, is there? <laughs> so. Uh, what, what, what just out of interest then what is what's is your favorite part about your job what is obviously i'm i'm pretty sure i know it's what you're going to say actually it's going to be what you're doing there with the likes of ian and and, and, and and in africa what what is your favorite part of doing what you do yeah it's seeing again it sounds sounds cheesy and forgive the language it, it's seeing it's genuinely seeing lives transformed uh, try and lives transformed by the love and the hope of jesus whether they're people in recovery or whether they're people who actually have had a very pleasant life with no outstanding issues but have just come into a faith dimension so it'd be that that inner transformation which results in outer change for the, the betterment of society really so that would be the that would be the great so we had one of our, our teenagers baptized at church just on sunday and that was just fantastic just to be a privilege to be at this baptism of this 16 year old real genuine ownership of faith I'd taken a bit of stick at school for being a Christian and stuff, and you just think, actually, to be baptising you this morning, that's just really, really special. So it's those, yeah. those kind of moments. Yeah, fair play. Just a phrase you've used a little bit there. Just uh, just for our listeners, can you clarify what you mean when you say ownership of faith? Because I think that's really important. That's really key to your message. Yeah, so I guess what I mean by ownership of faith is is really living living relationship with Jesus is knowing Jesus as a friend uh, and just putting him first in your life, which I think is a little bit different. And I don't knock, I don't knock it, but I think it's a bit different from someone who's just going to the ch- to church and has just been doing that all their lives. So, so at our last church, we had oh, there were lovely people. We had quite a large group of people from Poland who'd grown up in the Catholic faith. They came into our church and they they began to realise that there was a dimension and a closeness of knowing Jesus that they hadn't experienced in at least their expression of the Catholic faith. As, you know, Catholic faith is expressed differently wherever, not stereotypy things. But And so they suddenly thought, yikes, we didn't know church could be like this. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but there was a, an intimacy and openness you know, you saw a number of guys, those guys ended up getting baptised and real transformation. So I think it's just that closeness, closeness to Jesus, both experiential and then grounded in things like Alpha, which looks at the kind of rational, you know, the intellectual. There is some intellectual rigor to the faith at the same time. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So just like I say, we all came from a very small town in uh, South Cheshire. Uh, Is there anybody else from school that you're still in contact with, uh, whether it's through your faith or... Let me think. Yeah, I'm in contact with she's Kay Adams. She's Kay Carter now. Okay. I remember Kay. And I she's, do. Uh, yeah, she's yeah, she she her her Christian faith is just strengthened and strengthened. 
uh, there's the Alpha Course, which is a great way for explaining the Christian faith. There's also Christianity Explored, very similar. She actually is full-time for Christianity Explored. Uh, do you remember Ben, Ben Micklewright? Yeah, I remember Ben, yeah. He's in Cardiff. He's got a lovely family now, and he's uh, very involved with his church uh, there, in, uh, there in Cardiff. So, uh, so, so they're probably... They're probably the, the two. Oh, oh Victoria Clark. Uh, Victoria Clark, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, dad, dad taught us at the school. Yeah, exactly. And she's yeah. the one that took me to West Street Baptist. Uh, there you go. So she's, um, and actually, yeah, so she, yeah, so she, yeah, she, she lost her sister, sadly, in a car crash. So yeah. she had to go through that from a Christian perspective. What does that mean? You know, how can God actually allow that to happen? Uh, but actually through that, has just held on to her faith and is just, just amazing, uh, all the stuff that she's doing now as a teacher and again involved in her church so it's great to be able to sustain these friendships isn't it through the ups and downs of life yeah that is that's amazing that's that's fantastic some names that i haven't heard for a long long time yes so just just to take you back there then just a little bit there if you don't mind me asking you about yeah. this. so you said it you said at the very start before you found christianity before you found religion and before you know you had jesus in your life that you would look on the world and actually you know sometimes we do there are some wonderful things happening but we can focus on the miseries that are out there at the moment and a lot of people do over these last two two to three years and obviously talk about you know uh, victoria's journey there yeah. how, how how do you reconcile that uh how do you reconcile the things like that that happen uh, and you know your your belief in religion obviously i'm not suggesting it never that it ever wavers but how do you reconcile the two yeah, and it's a it's a it's a key it's a key question, isn't it? Uh, because none of us live life uh, live life blindly. So I think I, I just I think I've just accepted the fact that the the world the world is somehow broken. The world is just not in a it's not in a perfect state, and that and that imperfection can just be manifest in a whole load, you know, of different ways. Uh, that it's just not it's just not perfect. Some of those imperfections we don't understand. Some of them we do understand. We recognise that some of the stuff we go through is caused by the wrong behaviour of others. And some of the stuff I've seen in Africa, I've seen the natural disasters, but I've also seen corruption, which has just also contributed uh, at least to uh, the frailty of some of those uh, disasters. So I think it's a recognition that the world isn't perfect. Um, and, and I guess all the way through this, what I've seen time and time again is that for me, in my in, in my view, that, that that the help and the strength that God can provide uh, through Jesus has just been. I've just seen people just come through the worst, the most appalling, the most appalling traumas, and yet they've known God through those times. We've got a lady on our our, our team at the moment here. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that she lost her um, was it nine, ten year old son, uh, victim of a drunk, a drunk and drugged up driver uh, here in Bristol. Just traumatic. Uh, so she's had to process these questions. Uh, she now leads the Alpha Course at our church wow. because her, her conviction in God is just that sense of we are living in a fragile, imperfect world. And maybe sometimes, sometimes I think maybe, you know, we're, we're always very quick to say God doesn't step in. Uh, and obviously in the, the rawness of pain, that's an understandable reaction. But I, sort of, I have sometimes wondered over the years whether God also perhaps steps in, uh, but we don't know that he stepped in. You know, who knows what our lives might be like if you know, there haven't been some kind of interventions along the way. But, yeah, I certainly do not belittle anything that anyone has gone through. 
No, that's fair enough. And I appreciate that. You know, we didn't discuss what questions we no. were going to ask at the start, so I apologise sticking you on the spot there. But no, I, I really very, very good answer that, to be honest with you, that ultimately, you know, we are going to face these troubles and travails in life. Some of us are, some of us aren't. But whatever your faith, you know, whatever your faith is, you've got that level of support with you by so just right. believing in something. And, and I think that's fantastic. So that brings us up round about the hour, Mark. We appear to have lost gas from the call again. And he did briefly show his face, but it's gone again. He only lived next door, actually. He could have just popped around and jumped on my internet. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing your time with us, both yourself, Richard, and both Ian, and sharing your stories and your journeys. I really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to just say your goodbyes and, and you know, leave our listeners with any message that you, you really want them to take away from this. Do you want to go first, Ian? you want to say bye to them? Yeah, uh, thank you for having us. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, say out when it hurts. Yeah, I like that. I like that expression. Yeah, and same for me. Just a thank you. Just a fantastic privilege. Uh, and I think that I guess one of the things we touched on tonight is just is just reach out to others uh, if you need uh, if you need support. It's corny and cheesy, but I'd say if you can find a decent church somewhere near you, maybe give it a go, and you might be you might be surprised with what you find. There you go. And there's two people there who know just a little bit about that because that's exactly what they did and, you know, which made a difference in their lives. And it doesn't even bear thinking about where that could have gone now if it wasn't for that intervention of faith. So thank you. Thank you for sharing those two very personal, very different, but very personal journeys with us. I really, really appreciate it. And I know our listeners will too. So thank you. Good night and take care. Thank you. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Mike. And I'm Tabby. From Happy Hour Podcast. We are here to tell you about one little thing that we are doing starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on August 26th. We're going to break the world record for the longest recorded podcast. Join Caleb, Tap, myself, our producers, and some absolutely amazing indie podcasters for this event. We were also lucky to score El Presidente of the Salty Hippo Nation, Gunner, from the legendary Gunner podcast. We're going to be streaming this from YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Join us in making podcast history. And always remember, don't text and drive, don't drink and drive, and always drink responsibly.